Welcome back, everyone. This is Eric Ellison with the Digital Education Podcast. And if you've been listening and paying attention, there is no plan or great kind of plan for my podcast. I just talk to really interesting people about really interesting things and, and just have these open conversations about our work, our lives, um, and our communities and, and how to make them better as we look at innovative ways, but then also to live out that work in our lives. And so today I'm with somebody that I've been excited about to have this conversation with for, for quite a while, um, Justin Jones Fosu. He's a full-time dad uh, who happens to be a highly sought after business speaker, social entrepreneur, and meaningful work researcher. I've heard him speak but he's he's the founder and CEO of, of Work Meaningful, where he speaks 50 to 60 times per year. Just got back from Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, and he speaks to companies, organizations, and associations in the U.S. and internationally on meaningful work and diversity and inclusion. He's passionate about helping organizations and individuals take ownership of their mindset, purpose, and performance to achieving amazing results. And, and I definitely want to ask you about that because there's so much to this that I want to get into. But where I want to dive in is, is his latest book that I've had the opportunity to read and I shared as much as I can with people, The Inclusive Mindset, How to Cultivate, di cultivate Diversity in Your Everyday Life. And, and in that book, he says in the introduction, I don't want people to feel like diversity inclusion are big initiatives. I want them to see them as a way of everyday living. I want them to see them not as a mandate, but as a mindset. And Justin, I, I really appreciate you being with me and, and having this conversation, but I'd love for you to just jump right in and, and talk about kind of why you chose this idea of mindset yeah. and, and the idea of the the inclusive mindset and how that you know plays out but then why you chose that i mean that's really great starting point in my in my wonderings absolutely fam i appreciate it eric man and it's great to be on the podcast and uh, i'm super super pumped to have connected with you and i gotta have to kind of get the backstory to it so uh there's been a lot of iterations of this <laughs> uh before so for a long time so i've been doing diversity equity inclusion work for about 20 years and uh, speaking on it for 10. And so uh, the first initial conversation or presentation was hug an elephant, kiss a giraffe, uh, <laughs> embracing everyday diversity. And then it just became embracing everyday diversity. Um, and then I realized just the power of the inclusive mindset. And uh, let me kind of talk about it in two different ways. So one is, uh, and I've made a lot of mistakes and mishaps in my 10 years of talking about it, working with you know, from uh, mom and pop organizations, universities to some of the Fortune 50. And I, I realized that one of the things that stopped a lot of people from engaging was that they weren't, um, they felt it was like, it was too big, right? It felt overwhelming. It's like, where do I start? It's almost how I feel when I go into like a bookstore, like Barnes and Nobles, like I get super overwhelmed. I'm like, ah, I need to know so much, ah. And so it's just like, that's why I kind of love Amazon, right? <laughs> I just go and find a book I want and then get off. Uh, <laughs> but that's how people were engaging in diversity and inclusion. And so the people who got it and who were already on the slopes or on the highway of it, they were like, cool, let's go. I'm locked and loaded. But the people who weren't, 
they just resisted it. And, and so what I found is that a lot of people would talk negatively about them. Oh, they don't believe in this. And, they and I find that major, far vast majority of people actually want to grow and get better and learn about how to become more diverse and inclusive um, in their own lives, but they just feel it's overwhelming. And so I was like, well, how do I take this really tough and big concept and make it a part of ways that we grow, right? And, and so that's where the challenge is. And so I, I talk about um, it's not a shame-based approach, right? It's not, you know, if you've ever heard somebody say, oh, it's 2021 and you still struggle with this, right? It's like, no, 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 it's not about where you should be. It's about where you can be. Because every single one of us are approaching this conversation and story from a different place. And, and we can't expect ourselves, like, if, you know, same way, like, uh, you know, when I first started learning how to ski, I couldn't expect to immediately start down the, the the black double diamonds and all those kind of things because it would I would have died right. <laughs> I need to start off on little bunny slopes and a little magic carpet and and right and that's okay. And so that's the first piece is just that it felt overwhelming for people. But the second piece is where I realized that we were starting to make it a mandate. And I just human nature we rebel against things that feel like they're mandates. Like I have to do it. Or you're telling me I'm not going to be a good person if I don't do this, right? Oh, I'm not going to do it, right? I'm going to prove you wrong. Um, it's almost like the person that sends the social media thing, right? It's like, you have to send this to 10 friends or you won't have uh, money next year or something like that, right? Like, I'm like, I'm not sending this, right? Like it just feels like a mandate. And so that's the same thing that I realized people were approaching the conversation um, around diversity and inclusion around a mandate. I realized that I saw far more people grow when they saw it just as a part of what they did in their everyday lives, right? It's just a part of their, who they are. And Carol Dweck does some amazing work on this. And so she was a really big foundation for me. She wrote a book called Mindset and she's been studying mindset. Um, uh, she's Stanford PhD, great, great thinker and researcher. And she talked about just these two different mindsets about the growth and fixed mindset. And that fixed mindset people, they only wanna do things that they're good at. They only want to engage in things that make them look good, especially compared to other people. And they look at failure as final versus growth mindset people. They, they engage in things to get better. Their only competition is themselves. And, and they figure out ways to constantly grow. And, and I realized that in our society, we've conditioned people to be fixed mindset people. And so a lot of people don't want to engage in things that are uncomfortable, challenging, or even seem pretty big because confirms potential thoughts about their perceived intelligence or about what they think about how they are in this specific topic. So I only want to do things that make me look good. And so I said, hey, what if we looked at ways that we've made incremental growth in all other aspects of our lives? And what if we treat adversity and inclusion the same exact way, right? Um, and, and now more of my focus, and just to be very clear, I'm talking about interpersonal growth, right? Um, I think there's a lot of conversation and research about organizational things and systemic things, and I do consulting and stuff around that. But the focus around the inclusive mindset is how do we as individuals grow, no matter what our identity is, our background, our race, um, our beliefs, where we grew up, what religion we are, what politics we have, like whatever that is, that when we look back one year, did we grow? And did we stretch ourselves in meaningful ways? Okay, so so many different directions I could go with that. But in the, in the book, you, you talk about these different principles to, to take people on that journey of growth, 
right? And to set some even, you know, even some measurable, attainable, right? You know, goals for growth in their own life and their relationships. And I love how you say that the 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 interdependence or the interrelationship um, connectedness of people to people. So, you know, as you think about it and as you're traveling, as you're working with people, what's one of those key factors? I mean, I could pull out a number of different things that interest me, but what's something that you're seeing right now that, you know what, people say, I can do that. Like that's something tangible for me to grasp onto that, you know, can allow me to, you know, move forward and to grow in these relationships and even into growing my perspectives and understandings of the world and other people. Yeah. So man, there's so many things. <laughs> it's like, where do you, where do you start? Because that was one of the things that I, I continue to find is that oftentimes the way that diversity and inclusion was talked about was a very kind of academic, uh, very kind of theoretical thing. And people were like, that sounds good. I'd love to do it. Right. Almost like the office just be respectful and just, you know, admonish others and learn about them. It's like, but that doesn't tell anybody what to do. It doesn't help people to figure out ways to actually live this out. And so one of the things that we've done within Work Meaningful as a company is we've tried to create very practical, simple ways. So I'll, I'll give two. I know you asked for one, but I'll give two because I think it's powerful. So one is the circles of grace. And, you know, you and I have talked about that a lot um, in times past, but just that we tend to give the benefit of the doubt, grace, um, perspective, uh, we see them in, as innocent before proving guilty, people within our circles of grace. And that's us, our friends and family, people like us and people like those that we love. And, you know, it, I started noticing it's a, uh, a trend about this, right? It's like, it's like, oh, well, you should see the full picture, right? Or did you listen to the whole tape, right? Or did you see the whole interview? We'll do that for people that are within our circles of grace. But for somebody that's not, we're like, oh, that soundbite, mm-hmm, see, you see what that person said, right? Uh, we'll see what that person did. And we're like, oh, well, you know, they may have been, right? <laughs> and, and I noticed that part of that is we can enlarge our circles of grace. And I've seen it over and over again in conversations and um, kind of qualitative data and things that we've been able to acquire and having conversations with people is that in enlarging our circles, it allows us to hear the stories of others, not like hear another statistic, right? Because if people have a view, they're not going to change because they heard an opposing statistic. Oh, 75% of people do that. I'll never do that again. Like it doesn't happen. But what does happen is we hear people's stories and they're within our circles. We tend to give it a new thought, a new vibrancy. Maybe there's something to this. And I've seen it over and over again. And this initial thought came when I started seeing um, families uh, adopt um, different races, right? And, or from different countries, right? Um, and I started noticing like their sensitivity to certain issues for things, for understanding the difference that's around them grew. But I was like, without doing that, what are ways that we can do that? And so one of those things uh, called the ways to enlarge our circles is with meaningful relationships and um, exposure. So I'll first talk, talk about meaningful relationships. So meaningful relationships, you notice how we used the word meaningful, right? Because, you know, I could be like, oh, I have two white friends. Yay! <laughs> right? I got you, right? But no, I may still not grow because we may not talk about the hard issues. Um, but when I talk about meaningful relationships, here's one practical way to do that. It's a mathematical formula. It's the only math I, I promise you'll do today. <laughs> uh, but it's called 1MC over W. And 1MC over W simply stands for one meaningful connection per week. 
what if we committed to going outside of our doors, whether it's, you know, our homes, our condos, our apartments, our complexes, um, and engaging in neighbors that we may not have talked to before, and putting it in our calendar for 20 to 30 minutes every week to have a meaningful conversation with someone. What brought you to the city? What brought to you? Or where do you work? Or I didn't know. Like, open up the garage, go out if you have a garage, right? Um, or could be in our places of business or our universities and just identifying. It could be talking to students. It could be engaging with other colleagues and having conversations and being curious about people again. Right. That's one practical way. You can blame it on this bald guy here. Right. And say like, yeah, I read this book. and He said I had to do one meaningful connection per week. Right. <laughs> and but people we don't connect anymore. We don't connect meaningfully. Um, we, we hide up behind, you know, Netflix and Hulu and all these other kind of things and now social media. Um, but we're not really learning about people again. And so that's one way to do it is to have those meaningful relationships. And as you start having conversations, you'll notice some similarities like, oh, you love fishing too, right? And this person that you could have had this complete opposing view about, you realize that there's a commonality that can draw you closer and you may see their differences in a unique and different way. Uh, But the second thing is the exposure. And the exposure is uh, a practical tool I do myself is the six month challenge. And the six month challenge is, is essentially every six months, I challenge myself to go to events, experience things, or engage with people in either which I disagree or I don't know a lot about. And so those have been transformative to me because, you know, oftentimes, including myself, it's, it's super comfortable to stay within our circles of comfort. But when we begin enlarging our circles, um, we start learning more, right? And, and so uh, let, me, let me like underline this statement because oftentimes we see diversity and inclusion as some kumbaya experience where we're like, kumbaya, diversity. And, and that's, that's not what diversity is. Diversity and inclusion, or what I call the inclusive mindset, is when I can disagree with you and yet still respect you. It's when I can vehemently disagree with your ideology and yet passionately pursue your humanity. And that's what I'm drawing people back to the humanity of the conversation. And you know, I, there's a lot of things that I disagree with people on, right? It doesn't mean I don't listen. It doesn't mean that I don't give them voice. It doesn't mean that I don't hear them, but somehow we've included this perspective that if I just even hear what they have to say, that I'm, I'm giving credence to their beliefs. And this, no, like this, People talk about stuff all the time. And I'm like, oh, like, how did you come up with that? Or tell me more about that. Or give me the background story to that. And I may walk away like, I don't believe that. But it didn't mean I couldn't learn something new or hear it from someone's perspective. And so that's one thing that Six Months Challenge allows us to do is to dive deeper and to enlarge our circles and hear the stories of people because it allows us to operate in what I call gray. I have this whole concept called communicating in gray. Uh, that's probably going to be another book in the future, right? <laughs> but just this whole thing is that we, we, we often see things as really black and white, but it's usually a mixture of things. And if we were able to see ourselves in gray, it allows us to be able to better engage with others. Oh, so many questions, so many good thoughts. Because, I mean, it's also encouragement for me because I'm going to, a, to two dinners next week to hear speakers that I disagree with. And it's like, ah, should I go? Do I want to go? But then it's always that reminder. It's like, go embrace the opportunity. You've been invited in. Go learn, discover, think through, you know, and and then, you know, even ask maybe the the opportunities of the I'm wondering questions or I'm curious about to, to dig deeper. I think one of the other things that like 
has been really interesting for me in, in kind of stepping into that exposure place is um, we got a group of friends that were reading books on the kind of the opposite of what we believe. That's right. Good. And so, you know, so it's like, OK, so we just don't want to understand our side, but let's understand the other side. Maybe a quick question. What would be what was an example of something that you did in a six month challenge yeah. that, that stretched you? That was like, oh, no. Number one, I didn't want to do it. And number yeah. two, I had I was not prepared for what I got into. But is there is there an example you can share with us that maybe stretched you in a place that's saying, hey, you know what? If you get an opportunity like this, take it. Yeah. Um, so I was actually speaking at a conference and this is really kind of how the idea came about. Um, and uh, I was at this like a diversity and inclusion conference and it's actually a university. And some people were like, hey, Justin, um, there's a person coming and speaking at the mosque down the, down the street this evening. Would you like to come? And my internal reaction was like, no, I'm good. I'm a Christian. I'm, 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 I'm good. Right. Like if you ask somebody speaking at the church down the street, OK, I'll go. Right. Uh, but they're like, no, 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 I didn't say that out loud, but I was like, Hey, like, let me get back to you on that. Right. And so I was having this internal dialogue with me where I was like, well, I don't really want to go. And I was like, well, I mean, it could be good. And I was like, well, you know, it, it could be helpful. But, uh, I don't really want to go. Right. <laughs> and I was like, well, well, what will it hurt me to go? And that was kind of the catalyst to say, all right, cool, let's go. And so I went and I heard a Quranic scholar talking about some of the issues of that day and, and different definitions of word that I made of words that I had different terminology for. And it was so powerful because there are certain things for me that I was like, oh my gosh, like I believe that. And that's completely false. Like hearing it firsthand. And oftentimes we get second and third hand information. We believe it as gospel. We believe it as truth. Like this is, this is true because I heard it here. Right. But when I heard it from directly from people, it began to challenge my perspective. Now, on the flip side, I didn't walk out now Muslim. I didn't walk out. And there's a lot of things I still disagreed with, but it allowed me to embrace and engage the humanity of people and, and to hear people's firsthand experience with things that I had not talked to them about previously. And that for me was a really, really great moment just to begin to learn and engage and figure out ways that I could develop and grow. Um, another thing for me, uh, another one, which is super pivotal, you know, you asked for one, but this was another pivotal one, um, as uh, one of my six most challenges was just engaging and learning from police officers, right? And I remember going um, and doing a police ride along. And I remember talking to one of my buddies who was a police officer. And I just I said, hey, I just want to ask some questions. I don't have any advice or feedback. I just want to learn better. And man, there was so much that I began to learn. And even on the ride along, I realized, man, we're asking way too much of our police officers to do. Right. And, and so there were so many things that I began to say, like, I didn't know a lot about the lives of police officers. I heard all these things on TV and news and da, da, da. But let me actually engage and hear from police officers in their own unique perspective and journey. And that was transformative to me. Um, so there's, there's several six month challenges that I've taken, um, but those have been two that have really stood out the most to me. So let me ask you, because because a lot of this is the proximity, you know, going back to the circles of grace, right? And the relationship and proximity, you even use that example, get out, get to know your neighbors, open the front door or the garage yeah. or sit on the front porch, not in the backyard or yeah. whatever it might be, or engage in your local community or be purposeful about making connections. 
how I, I guess one of the questions is how important is it? Because in both of those experiences, it sounds like you had someone that you could invite yourself into their life, and then someone else invited you into you know into their life, right? Yeah. And and how much how important in this mindset is not just the understanding of it, but getting in proximity with people and saying yes to the yeah. invitations that you receive. Yeah, it, it's super important, Eric. I think uh, one of my modules, I talk about welcoming versus inviting and, you know, and the welcoming aspect of like, everybody's welcome, but few people are invited in, right? And so part of that is we have to have the humility to be, um, to invite others into our circles and our spaces, but to also be invitable. And so for me, being invitable was in that moment, it was, you know, for the, to go to the, the mosque, the chronic scholar speak, is like somebody asked a question. Now, probably previously before I started diving in and challenging my own self to do things, I probably would have said no, like I'm good, like I don't want to, you know, like, but I leaned in and, and leaning into hearing and understanding perspective, I was like, I made a conscious intentional decision to not take my normal exit. And our brains are on autopilot to take exits that are normal. And we just like, no, I don't normally do that. So my, my extroverts are like, yeah, awesome my introverts are like um i don't want to have the inclusive mindset if this is what it takes uh and so there are also practical ways to engage and some of that is in joining organizations that you normally wouldn't join or at an organization getting a part a part of an employee resource group that's not a part of your own identity um those are things that we can begin to do even something as simple as volunteering and engaging in a volunteer activity where there may be people who are different than you and whatever that difference may be. It may be socioeconomic, it may be age, it may be gender, it may be race, it may be class, education, whatever it may be, but finding ways to just be around other people. And those are some practical ways that in the normal a part of the day where you're volunteering or you're putting together things for the soup kitchen or you're, you're, you're building boxes for the homeless shelter, whatever, that you can begin to engage and rub shoulders with people who might be different and hear their stories. And so that's the piece that I think it's, it requires intentionality. Um, but over time, the practice of that intentionality makes it just become a part of everyday lives. Like I find myself using this phrase, tell me more just naturally, right? It's not something I have to think about like, oh, tell me more, right? It's just like, oh, tell me more about that. Like, what do you mean by this? Or give me more, but it didn't start that way. It took practice and intentionality and now it's becoming a part of my everyday rhythm. So, so in that intentionality and in that everyday rhythm, one of the things you write about in your book is, you know, and I think there's, there's connections and there's tie-ins here, right? Because you know, if we want to expand our circles of grace, a lot of times what we do is we invite people into our space, mm -hmm. but we never, you know, we, 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 we're resistant to say yes to being invited into other people's space or even entering into other people's space and, and even into their lives. And, and you, in the book, you talk about the right hand paradigm yeah. and, and I love it. You know, I've, I've had multiple surgeries on my right hand and my, and my right shoulder. So it put me in the left-handed world. I've had people do kind of a week long, you know, a, a, you know, kind of, you know, goals of, hey, we're just going to live left handed for a week just right. to kind of see it. How important is it when you think about the what you write about with the right handed paradigm that we also kind of not just not just welcome people in our space, but then also experience the lives of 
people in their communities and in their space and in their in their lives. Yeah, I think it's, it's so pivotal because it, that's the being invitable part. Um, and when we're invitable and we go into other spheres or spaces, um, it allows us to hear perspectives that we never would have heard. And it gives us a firsthand uh, account. Right? Think about it like this have you ever had somebody talk about you, but never to you? Like, we hate that. <laughs> but we often do that to whole groups of people. And so to break down the right-hand paradigm, if you're somebody's listening, like, hey, what are you talking about the right-hand paradigm? Um, it, it's, it really came from a really quick story of when I was in, uh, I was on a, I think a tour, speaking tour somewhere, and I was stopped in a country store. And I heard this guy yell, kind of at the top of his lungs, these doors aren't made for left-handed people. And my, my first reaction is, What's he talking about? Why? First of all, why is he yelling? Right? We don't need to yell in the store. And then second, I was like, what are you talking about? Like doors aren't made for left or right handed people; they're just made for people. And it drew my attention enough that I looked, and it was like the one of those hot dog heater spinner things. And the left handed door opened into a refrigerator, which is what looked like he opened a door and he hit his hand, which is why I think he started yelling. And the right handed door opened in, into nothing. And I was like, wow, there may be something here. And, and I started diving into the research and I realized that left-handed people lived a different life than I did. And I had no idea. Like, I didn't know that scissors that say they're multi-handed are made still for right-handed people, that cabinets and doors and all these things. I even learned in recent research that the left-handed doctors do not prefer left-handed doctors to work on them because they realized in their own journey how, how few of left-handed tools were available to them that they felt like they received ineffective training. And so they didn't want the person who received ineffective training working on them. <laughs> right? And so I didn't know all these, and the, the, uh, the big thing, right? Spiral notebooks. I, I didn't know that there was a bane of left-handed people's existence. They were like, no, spiral. And, and so I, as I started learning about this, I was like, oh my gosh, I never knew about this. And I started uncovering this in my early thirties at the time. And I was like, but why? And I realized a pivotal truth there is because I didn't have to. I lived in a society that catered to my right-handedness. I didn't have to notice. I had the, what I call the luxury not to. And once I realized that, I started asking questions of how, you know, it seems simple, but how I could be a better advocate for those who are left-handed. So guess what? If I'm doing a session or workshop, I do top binding versus left binding a small, subtle way to create a more inclusive environment where somebody can say, hey, like, I feel, thank you. And you have no idea how many left-handed people come up and say thank you, right? <laughs> For once, I don't have to struggle with this binding. So those are things that I think, once we understand some of the luxuries that we have, it allows us to operate and go into spaces that we don't know a lot about. Let me give you a great example. And, you know, there may be some who disagree with me, but I believe, at least um, in American society, there's still some aspect of male privilege, right? There's some still, some, there's luxuries I have as a male that um, I don't have to think about, right? Because a lot of things were made for me as a male and working in organizations, other things. I know about pay gap, that's 18%, but, you know, and more for other groups within women and all these things. And so I, as I started learning about how I could be a better advocate for women in the workplace, it began to open up my eyes of like things I never knew about. And that proximity, that learning about my own luxuries 
led me to dive into figuring out ways that I could be a better advocate for women in the workplace. And so that's one of the things I think that's so, it's so helpful in growing um, and learning and in growing an inclusive mindset is not just enlarging our circles. It's not just taking challenges and being invitable. It's also even identifying areas where we may have luxuries that other people don't and learning about those groups and putting ourselves in those groups and immersing ourselves in those groups and those books and those movies to better learn. So let me ask maybe one last big giant question Mm -hmm. Um, because I think you kind of end the book this way, but you wrote the book and it kind of came out as the world was in utter change, right? Or maybe, maybe, what we weren't doing is we weren't paying attention to things in the same way, but they come to light in different ways. And, and the conversation just explodes around us and in yeah. some very positive ways, but then some very difficult ways. And then, yeah. um, you know, in many ways, very unhealthy. Um, but then you, the book you write about kind of the idea of ally and advocate yeah. and anti-racism and some of those types of things. And, and I'm wondering this question because, because, Okay, I can live the inclusive mindset, but you even just in that example about what you're learning about women and in the workplace, how do we, how can we better step into that place where we might feel real significant discomfort on not just being inclusive and being friendships and growing proximity and developing the relationships and working well with people, but how do we, we step into that place when we're often very afraid to yeah. Step in those places of advocacy or allyship or just deep friendship or deep relationship that allows for better things to happen. Yeah, that's a great question, Eric. And uh, let me ask this question of you is, have you ever run a marathon? No, no chance. Okay. What, what's the longest distance you've run? Uh, I, the, probably the most challenging thing for me was I did a, uh, I did a three day about 35 mile hike, um, through Iceland. So that okay. was, so when you're talking about challenges physically recently, yes. that's probably the biggest one. That's the big, okay. All right. So I, so I love that you did that challenge, but I want to come back to the marathon, right? <laughs> so what's the longest you've ever run in one setting? Probably 10 miles. 10 miles. Okay. So if you were to start saying, Hey, you know what? I want to prepare for a marathon. Would you just go out and run 26.2 miles? No, I wouldn't. What would you do? Yeah. What what would you do? I'd probably nowadays I'd look up online at these crazy training blogs, right. Or training guidelines and say, okay, what do you do on day one? And usually I think I, I, even when I was doing that for hiking, you see, it's like do a mile. Right. (laughs) And, And this is, this is sometimes our struggle is that we look at this conversation or look at some of the issues and big challenges and it just completely paralyzes us. And we ask and say, well, what can I do? And, you know, one of the worst things I think all of us can do in an area that we want to lean into is to do nothing. And so uh, I created uh, what I call the three by five beginner allyship model to help people that just it's like, I don't know where to start. Start here. Right. And so if you're like, hey, there's an area that you see significance that you really want to lean into, like there's not every area we want to lean into. Right. It may be against our belief systems or whatever, but but we want to lean into this area. Here is a place to start. And so this is a way that I, even I as I did my first marathon. Now they call me Kentucky. I'm one and done. Um, <laughs> uh, but I started watching movies 
and talking to people who ran a marathon and started reading books on it. You know, um, I started you know, engaging in these, right, looking on online articles. And I realized that we can actually do the exact same thing in these areas. So imagine you have an area that you're growing in, right? So for me, I've been trying and challenging myself to grow and being a better advocate for women in workplace, right? So are there three people I can talk to, right? So I call three by five, three people, three movies, three podcasts and or videos, three books and three journal articles that starts to build the foundation of my learning. That's a place to start we won't know what to do if we never start. And so as you talk to people, they may say, hey, here are some books or here's some things you can read, right? Or you may read a book or listen to a, a podcast and it may give you another insight that may trigger something like, oh, I want to dive deeper here, right? And then you start understanding, oh, these are some organizations that are actually attacking it. And I didn't realize there's organizations that are helping to deal with the pay gap, right? And so those are things that I didn't know before I started doing the research and learning about it. So you start diving in and getting more engaged. and then you start finding ways that you can help. And I'm not talking about being the star of the show. I'm not talking about, uh, I'm talking about supporting the work that's already exists that people are already doing in an area. And so you're talking about the really big challenges, really big changes. It starts from that first mile hike to get to the 35 in Iceland, right? It starts from that first you know, uh, maybe at minute <laughs> run for some of us who've never run a marathon. It's that beginning place that allows us to dive deeper, but we don't need to focus on deeper yet. We need to focus on being present, hearing, listening, learning from those who are already doing the work, from things that are already happening, from organizations that are already engaged. And then as we begin to slowly get on the highway, we realize, oh, that's the that's exit I should get off because that's an area I really want to help and dive into. And I think I can contribute. So those are some of the practical things. It's, it's not seeing the 35 mile hike in the beginning. Same thing. I just climbed Kilimanjaro uh, this past August. Right. And for me, it wasn't like, Hey, let me go and spend eight days in, in, in the mountains. Right. <laughs> you know, which it took me eight days to get up and down, <laughs> but it was, let me go on a hike. Let me do some training. Let me do the stairs at my gym, right? And then eventually grew into, let me now get the mask because I have to deal with altitude. Let me get the oxygen. It's those small things allow it to become a part of just who Justin is, to be more curious, to learn more, and, and to see it just as a growth process versus I have to accomplish and do everything all at once. And so that's why the three by five beginner allyship model was created and ways to help us to learn, engage and build a foundation of where we can go, but a good place to start. Uh, Justin, this is incredible. And, and maybe one last kind of close yeah, us out with, you have that opportunity to get to the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. And I saw, yeah. you know, a couple of your pictures on social media and different things like that. And what an incredible experience, accomplishment. You know, when you think about even this work that you're doing and, yeah. and climbing the mountain and bringing people with you in this journey, like when you get to the top, what are your hopes? You know, what, you know, what, I, I guess kind of comparing them, but yeah, like we get to the mountaintop and you see what you see and it's like, oh, I wish other people could experience this. Yeah. Right. So what would be your hopes for other people as you continue this work and, and get to that mountaintop and bring people with you? So um, two things. Um, and I'll, I'll end with 
uh, kind of my vision for it. Um, but one is everybody loves a summit picture, Eric. <laughs> Everybody loves like, yay, I made it, woohoo, right? But what most people didn't know, even my own journey, is while I consider myself, you know, a somewhat fit guy, um, the last day of the hike, right, summit day, summit, well, summit night and the summit day, I want to give up. Um, it seemed, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps, about to cry talking about it now. Um, you know, there were moments where I was just like, I called it a never-ending ridge, <laughs> Where it's like you look and it's like, oh, I got to the top. And it's just, oh, it's another ridge. Oh, I got this. Oh, it's another ridge. And it's like it happened 20 times where I was telling my guy, like, yeah, I'm not sure about this. Like, <laughs> it's just, I was all in my mind. And, you know, he, he he helped me. He took my pack. And he was like, all right. And I noticed that everybody else had given up their packs a long time ago. <laughs> and I was like, oh, pride. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but then I started getting this. I was like, I like my was working, was moving, was walking, walking, and then diarrhea hit me. And I'm like, oh man. And then the altitude hit me, and I started getting nauseous. And I had to go slow, and they call it pole pole. But I was going slower than what they were normally talking about pole pole, and just every little thing. And if you look at me and I have a video on my cell phone because my, my guide was, was filming me, it looks like, especially when I'm like close to the summit, probably about two hours away, it looks like I'm drunk on the mountain. I'm stumbling and this time I'm walking and I just fall over, right? And that, that's not what you, most people see. Most people don't, they don't see that when they see the summit. And that's our journey. That's 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 our journey. When I was even in Erie uh, yesterday, that's I, I lead with that that picture and saying, "See, you see the summit," but you didn't see the two times I just fell over, right, <laughs> right before I got there, or the many times I'd use the restroom, you know, somewhere on the mountain. And that's our journey, y'all. In this journey, we're gonna fall down, we're gonna make mistakes, we're not gonna know right thing to do, we're gonna wonder at times, "Can I do this?" Um, but with the help of others around us, great guides. <laughs> with some awesome porters and colleagues to support us through this journey. That's why it's not one we do by ourselves is that we're able to make it to the summit. And what I call the summit, the summit is progress. That's what the summit is because we're, I, I'm still growing. I, I, I'll never be like, I'm diversity and inclusion guru now. Like, yes, I've made it. I know everything. No, that's not what it is. So that's our, our journey. And, and I'll leave this, I'll leave you with this. This is the vision that I have for the inclusive mindset. And uh, this is actually the beginning um, of the book. And um, this is just as I thought about where I wanted the book and really not just the book, but just this movement towards the inclusive mindset. This is what it is. The inclusive mindset vision is the world can be a place where people are treated with value, dignity and respect, no matter what they look like, how they identify and what they believe. Where people can engage others every day with a sense of wonderment and curiosity, where people disagree respectfully while honoring the perspective of others, where, where everyone feels included, seen and heard, and the voices of the marginalized are elevated and amplified, where people stand up for others even when they see injustice occurring and challenge systems that don't work for others, where people don't have to be perfect and can receive grace as they learn from their mistakes where diversity and inclusion are no longer initiatives, but a part of our everyday lives, no longer a mandate, but simply a mindset. This is the world we believe in.
this is what we believe the world can be. That's my vision. And whether it happens in my generation or not, um, my hope is that I'm able to plant pivotal seeds and meaningful seeds that even my children and other people's children can carry on the mantle to our place that that's a reality that we can live in. Justin, I'm, I'm in it to walk that journey with you. I thank you for inviting me into it and just inviting me into this conversation and so much that I've learned from you. I really appreciate that. You know, and if people want to follow up with you, what, what would be the best way to do that as they get connected with you and just even learn more about your work and the book? Yeah. So workmeaningful.com is the website. Um, if you haven't checked out the book, you can find it on Amazon. Um, and so it's right there and leave an honest review there. And um, yeah, it's, that's been the greatest place to work meaningful.com and just contact information and all that um, on, on the website and question forms and things. And I like even hearing from people that disagree with me, like those, that it helps me to grow, right? Like people think, you know, <laughs> I don't like, so I've had people, even on my YouTube, it's been hilarious that will post comments. Like I believe diversity and inclusion suck and it's not important. Right. And I'm like, oh, wow. Thank you so much for sharing your perspective. I'd love to learn more. Like, why do you believe diversity and inclusion suck? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, da, 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 da. I was like, wow, I'm grateful that you have that perspective and view. It's really good that you can share that even if it's different than other people's. Right. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. You, I see what you just did there. Right? <laughs> like, because I'm going to share, like, you have a diverse view that's different than other people. And that I'm grateful that you can share yours. Right. Right. Even if I disagree with it. Thank you for sharing. And so uh, anyway, so, so stay in touch, get in touch, even if you disagree with the pieces and things that I, I bring up and share. But um, at the end of the day, I think all of us can grow. Um, I'm still challenging myself to grow. And, and it's, this is not a perfect journey. This is not one that you're going to get everything right. I don't. I'm still ignorant of things. I still don't know about a lot of things, but I'm choosing to engage in the vision I have and the world that it can be. Justin, thank you.